0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I am your co-host, Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I am Corey, CJ Wesley. CJ and the Duke reaches a wide service now audience of product owners, developers, and admins with views in the thousands. If you'd like your product or service featured on our show, contact us for sponsorship opportunities. Links are gonna be in the description below. Today we're continuing our What's Up series, and we're going to be taking a multi-episode bite out of a massive topic. So without further ado, Corey, what's up with catalog? Oh man, not catalog. Dude,
1: (laughs) we talked about this. We have talked about this. Not not only have we talked about
0: this for this episode, we have talked about this for our entire friendship. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's probably going to be multiple episodes, so just bear with us. Like most of our content, we have to start at the start. Let's talk about the starting points of the catalog. And I'm not talking about the design. I'm talking about how people get to the work items that are typically stored in a catalog. We want to talk about where the catalog items live, how you access them on a day-to-day basis. You got to think about this with a lot more nuance than just I'm putting a catalog item in the catalog and the way they do it is go to the catalog and browse through the catalog tree uh, to go to the catalog <laughs> item. There is a lot of powerful ways you can connect people to the catalog items they need to use. So the first thing we'll talk about is search. It's 2020 now, we can't be just put these catalog items in a cascading hierarchy of catalog categories. That's a BS way of working, nobody likes doing it. It won't survive first contact with the enemy. So the first challenge, and it's not a trivial one, is to implement search. How do I get my customers to use search on the portal? And then what are they returning when they get search?
1: You touched on this kind of a little bit in the preamble, right? In terms of there are a lot of powerful ways to access the catalog. And the search is probably the introduction Mm -hmm. to the powerful ways of accessing the catalog. That's not, as you like to say, (laughs) category tree. At a certain point, the category tree just doesn't scale anyway. So regardless of whether or not you are an adherent to it or not, it stops scaling past a certain number of catalog items. Right. It just becomes unable to browse it in an efficient manner. Right. And that's where search comes in. Like Think about Google. What if Google had a catalog tree? You don't actually have to imagine that because all you have to do is look at old school Yahoo, because it actually did have a category tree. Right. And nobody uses that anymore.
0: My new favorite metaphor for this too, is imagine if you had to triage your own medical condition over a phone menu. Right. <laughs> that's, right. that's what it feels like to a user to use a service catalog with categories. But getting back to search, a couple things you can take away from this is think about search not only from the client perspective, and I'm gonna go to the portal and I'm gonna use search, but also for your operators, like your help desk people. You're going to start somewhere, whether it's on the incident form or whether it's on some other generic task type. But you have an opportunity to leverage search of the catalog from the short description. And I think this is like a dark horse of the platform that nobody's thought hard about for a long time. And it's going to get better and better as ServiceNow A wakes up to the fact that it's not always start at incident. It's start at an interaction and graduate into whatever type of work it is, Absolutely, is. Right? I'm hoping for the day when ServiceNow just has some generic interaction record from which I search the catalog and either launch catalog work or launch an incident or a demand or whatever. Ideally, we want to deflect that incident. Incident
1: mitigation is one of the things that most service desks strive to accomplish. And being able to search the the catalog from that incident record or generic Mm -hmm. task record gives you that incident deflection that makes your service desk metrics start to pop.
0: We can't make a show on how to make search awesome, which is unfortunate because it's not awesome to start with. You have to work towards making it awesome. And so we would just encourage you that if you're in a place where everybody's kind of ho-hum about the catalog, fix that by getting better with search. Read everything on docs about search. And then if you wanna look at premium products that make search really, really good, I would look at places like New Rocket, as well as Yansa Labs. They have uh, OneSearch, which used to be on Share, and now it's a premium product. Those can make search on your portal awesome in a hurry. I must have an unpopular opinion, apparently.
1: I actually like out-of-the-box search. I found it to be pretty powerful, especially when you start to really modify your search terms. I found that you can find almost anything in ServiceNow. Um, but hmm. shout out to New Rocket and, y- and Yasta Labs, right? Especially YASA Labs, right? Those guys are are killing it on the store. If you if you haven't looked yeah. at their products, go take a look.
0: Also, they didn't sponsor us, so you're welcome. <laughs> 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 okay. Yeah, that's from the heart, right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a couple other things in starting points. Think about I call them hard links. Because sometimes you're not in the catalog. You could be ordering stuff off your intranet portal. You might not even be on ServiceNow. You might just be on some other web app, but you got to go get work from ServiceNow. So consider hard links to go directly to the catalog item you want. You don't have to start with the idea that they're, hey, they're on the Service Catalog. You don't have to start with the idea that they have to go through search. Right. A link to an item is just as good. It's actually better than search because ideally you put the link
1: in a place where it's going to be relevant, right? Right. And it's if- in
0: way. <laughs> way. Yeah,
1: exactly. If I'm looking for whatever, and I'm in the place where that where whatever's are, (laughs) right, like giving having that link directly there saves me a bunch of steps, right? So think about like places where you can embed or nest your catalog items inside of your other processes and the end user might be actually be looking for that you know, link to that catalog item versus whatever their process is serving
0: up. Okay. And speaking of being in harm's way, I had the opportunity to see this happen a couple weeks back. A friend was showing me their service now implementation. They wanted to ask me about hey what do you know about virtual agent on Teams? And I was like uh what? Uh <laughs> and sure enough Teams has a virtual agent plug-in to it and we turned it on and configured it in like five minutes and had it doing stuff. I'm not saying that stuff was necessarily like refined enough to go live with, but it's one of those things where you can in a very short amount of time, come out with a use case of it. Now, why is this important as a starting point? Because what Slack and Teams are teaching us is that sometimes work gets done in chat. I'm talking to my whole team in chat and wouldn't it be nice if, if there's known workflows oh, we got to go run this orchestration on this batch of servers or whatever because we're having problems, yada, yada. Or, oh, we got to go shut off all the Amazon sites that we got on but aren't using so we can turn off the billing. Wouldn't it be nice if I could just execute that from a chat bot in the chat that I'm in? Ultimately, you know, as we move towards text-based
1: communication again, which seems like, you know, we're we're kind of coming full circle here. I kind of remember my early days in the, on the internet was mostly text-based communication. As we move back towards text-based communication and chatbots and the evolution of having robots do our bidding, having the opportunity... For a catalog item to be surfaced in that conversation that you might be having with someone else or as a response to a notification that you got in chat as well. Right. Just opens up a new level of interactivity and it
0: drives more efficiency and it it drives the ability to execute to another level. It took me a while, but I just fully finally realized that there's workflows that are known that you can implement while you're chatting with people. And why on earth would you want to stop that so you can go to the catalog so you can search for the item so you can, you know what I mean? It's just like counting the steps. I'm bored already explaining it. Like, why, why can't I just pop open virtual agent in my team's interface? And by the way, Microsoft didn't sponsor us either. So you're welcome, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it's
1: immersion, right? It's immersion yeah. that you, you don't want to remove people from the task that they're doing. You want exactly. to keep them immersed in the thing that they're doing so that they can actually finish it. And if, if you are able to surface additional help for them, do so without pulling them out of that context. Do you want to take on one of the other ones, inbound or events? Inbound actions, right, is a really good one. We often think about catalog items are these things that sit here and wait for a human interaction, mm-hmm. right? We're going to put yep. these things on a, on a shelf and then someone's going to walk into the library and pull a book off, right? And say, like, I'll order whatever is in this book. But what if a catalog item wasn't just waiting for a person, it was waiting for an action? right? And that action could be an inbound email, could be a trigger from a different system. And all of a sudden, onboarding event hits ServiceNow and spins up a new hardware request. And then that's off and running and waiting for approval or bypassing approval because it's already Mm -hmm. validated and going through the motions. What if Catalog items were built from the standpoint that they weren't just for human consumption, but also for process and robot consumption. Think of how you could build your
0: catalog out to actually become a lot more impactful in that way. Yeah, they wouldn't even have to be active or in the catalog. It's just call the catalog API. Right. Order this item, feed these variables, and you're done. It's weird. I hate inbound actions. I hate inbound email, (laughs) but it's because you're too often anticipating human interaction with them. Tell a person you have to send an email with this in the subject line or this in the body, which they'll screw up. You got to count on like at least a 20% failure rate on spelling alone, right? (laughs) And then you're going to have all kinds of collisions because over time, everybody's going to ask you for stuff on inbound actions based off their own keywords. Right. which means you've got to, like, harden the other inbound action against those same keywords. Oh, yeah. yeah that's you know what so I mean? True. But then if yeah. it's robots, you could just say, like, here, have, prefix it with a 16-digit alphanumeric number, and we'll know you're okay. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> the robot will be like, fine, I'll do that every single time, perfectly, a million times a day for a thousand yeah. years. <laughs> without, without problem, right? <laughs> right. I'll yeah, never I forget mean- that. <laughs>
1: you, you, and you made a really good point, though, when you, when you said that the item doesn't doesn't even have to be in the uh, catalog, right? It brings to, to light a whole nother concept, a shadow catalog. The list of catalog items that aren't even exposed to people in your business, but actually get work done because robots and, and inbound action are communicating and utilizing these processes to actually uh, get work done. And you still have the reporting behind them. To be able yeah. to categorize that work and report on it and, and drive efficiency. Right. I mean yes. Yeah, I mean,
0: really like the catalog items are really just candy wrappers for flow designer, right? The last starting point to think about, and this is probably the one that's within the easiest reach. Like if you want to start improving your catalog experience tomorrow. In New York, they released KB to catalog relationships. You can have knowledge articles. Basically, at the bottom of the article, you can link catalogs to it so that when you're consuming the knowledge, it's like maybe check out these catalog items, too. And also vice versa, so that when you pull up a catalog item, you could look at knowledge articles that were related to that. And this has been something I've wanted to have smooth interaction with for a long time. Like with search, it's am I going to get the catalog item first or the knowledge article about the catalog item first? Right. And now with, with New York's KBD catalog relationships, it doesn't matter. Whichever one is first links to the other. Like I'm a new manager and I want to make a new hire. So I search, oh, there's my how to do new, new hires, knowledge document. So that's what we wanted to cover on starting points. Be nuanced in your thinking. Understand that you can make a lot of people's lives a lot easier if you don't have that one-dimensional view of catalog items are for people to search through the categories to get to the catalog items. Keep your mind open about search, hard links, virtual agent, inbound actions, events, and the New York KB to catalog relationships. While it's important
1: to know how you're finding the content that's actually in the catalog, what's more important than the starting point is what's actually in the catalog. And so Robert, let's let's talk about the content of the
0: catalog. This question comes up a lot more often than I'd imagine. You know, I got my start in workflow management tools. It's all I've ever really done, except grocery work, which I really love and miss. But anyway, uh, (laughs) so I I had to start thinking about ways to explain to people what they should put into catalog. Everybody wants to think about, oh, I just need an incident button and a request button, but it's not always clear. And I don't typically like that distinction. There's a body of work out there by a guy named Rob England, and it's called Standard and Case. And it kind of just really informed the way I think about the stuff I put in the catalog. So your standards, forget the ITIL terminology for a second. It's just all the stuff I know how to do. And then your cases are things that you don't know how to do. You have to investigate. You have to apply thinking to it, detective work. And so you can't really flow it very well. I always tell people just have a really deep understanding of your standards. What are the things that you know how to do and put those things in the catalog so that they can be workflowed out. That's how you're going to get better at everything is just refine those standards, measure those standards. Okay. And for case, that's where you want to think more about, I don't know what to do. I have a thing that it's going to need investigation. And that's when you want to think about how do I get people access to create an incident or maybe, maybe have them create a demand and the demand takes care of the output that it gets to, or maybe yeah. you don't even live in a, in an incident paradigm. Maybe it's stories, sprints, enhancements, defects, projects, changes. Right. Anyways, that dovetails really nicely into the class of things that you put into the catalog and what consequences those have. Yeah. So,
1: you know, in the catalog, we can have all of the things, right? We can have record producers, we can have catalog items, and we can have order guides. It's important to note the differences and the use cases for using each of these items. So from a, a the standpoint of a record producer, like why would I want a record producer over a catalog item? A record producer is going to be the front end to one of your form-based processes. So it's the front end to incident management. It's the front end to problem management could even be the front end for creating a change. Right. And when I say mm-hmm. the front end, I mean the end user accessible UI. Typically you want to have a record producer when you want the end user to initiate one of these processes, but you don't want to give them the, the ITIL view, right? Like that utilitarian 50 fields on the form kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like, let me poke around and figure out what these things, like you want to abstract a lot of that a lot of that. And plus with a record producer, you have the ability to do a script. So I can just expose three fields to the end user. I can say, all right, tell me what's wrong. Tell me how big of a deal it is. And then tell me, you know, where you are, for example. And then I could take the other five bits of information that I would typically need to know and abstract that either from the user account or, or just hard coded in based on our own internal standard. Yeah. You know, record producers give you
0: that ability. I, I want to pop in with two admin devy tips for record producers. Yeah, go for Um, it, Robert. One is never forget the secret, secret, secret awesome sauce of record producers, which is if you name your variables the same thing as the fields that they're going to get to, you don't have to bother about scripting them for input. If I have a caller ID variable on the record producer, I don't have to script that into the caller ID field of the incident. If the record producer is aimed at incident, it just fills in the blanks automatically.
1: That's smart development right there.
0: Yep. And the second thing I'll talk about this came up in, in my last three architecture gigs and I it surprises me that it comes up. You don't have to think about variables of the record producer having a one to one relationship with fields on the form. Right. You can ask them more questions or less and then just build that into a description or a short description. They don't have to map to actual data fields in the back end.
1: Say that one again, because that one's, I've always built it that way, but I never thought about it. But say that one again, because I feel like,
0: you know, there are some folks out there who are missing yeah. that one. <laughs> well, imagine I had one client that had multiple record producers for different types of incident. Like something is wrong with application XYZ. And they, they wanted to capitalize on the idea that we can ask more refined questions here than in the generic, like, what's your problem? You could ask them quite troubleshooting questions almost. Did you restart it? Turn the thing over and tell me it's asset tag code or whatever. You can ask them a bunch of different questions. Now, they didn't have fields to store the answers. So what they did was they just made one giant text blob and put it into the description. But the first person to pick that incident up post-submission had all the data, they would have had to call and ask or email and ask. Absolutely. Now, now like, don't be an idiot and put every single question in the universe <laughs> on one form. Don't do that. But don't be afraid to use questions that aren't necessarily data fields in the database. You know, moving on for record producers, we've got catalog item. So when I'm looking at a catalog item,
1: I'm thinking about information that I need to collect, how it needs to be presented. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about the workflow behind it. I'm thinking about approvals. I'm thinking about you know, all manner of of things like that. I'm also thinking about communication too. As this catalog item kind of kicks off and goes down the workflow path, I'm thinking about how do I communicate the task work that's being done downstream back up to the requested item, you know, and maybe back up to the request, hardly ever, but possibly, but typically Mm -hmm. between the requested item and the actual SC tasks that get done downstream, I'm thinking about communication there. So that's a long way of saying that a catalog item is not the front end for a, Form-based process is the front end for an ad hoc process, the ordering process of a specific thing. And that thing would not necessarily map to a process already built inside the service now. That thing is hmm. gonna be something that you're going to order or it might be a request for access or a request to process hmm. an expense. It's all of these ad hoc things that taken apart piece by piece could almost stand alone as a custom application.
0: That's but in, That's how I think about them, yeah. And I don't yeah. think about, I'd be careful with the word ad hoc just because it has a taste of small or or non-standard. These could be super standard, but I think about them as tiny proto apps. And I think we have this as a category further down the list, but it's not quite big enough that I want to build an application scope and build an app around it full of ACLs and new fields and new tables and business rules and all that stuff. It's just something that I need to get into the system so that people can track their work and that work flows in the following way.
1: And that work might need to be divvied up in the specific way. Mm-hmm. And this yep. going to happen in this way each time. And yep. oh, we might need an approval to have that work done. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Not necessarily ad hoc, but all of this work is going to be standardized and it's going to follow the same workflow each time you do it.
0: That's where a catalog item really shines. Get bears repeating the functional structural differences between a record producer and a catalog item is a record producer ends with anything. Yes. But one of those things, a catalog item will always output a request, a request item, and an SC task, and possibly some other stuff as well. But it's made for making those types of records.
1: And then finally, we've got the order guys, right? And the order guys are, oh my God, I hate order guys. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have never been a fan of order guys. They, they definitely have their place in the ServiceNow universe. Don't get me wrong. I find that they typically overcomplicate things, but you can sometimes do cool things with order guys. An order guide is... Take an onboarding process. Here we go with onboarding again. If you Take an onboarding process. And you say, I got a new user and I need to do several things for that user in order for that person to be properly provisioned. What do yeah, I need to do? Yeah, they all
0: have their own workflow.
1: Right. That's and they the, all have their the own problem, workflow. Right. Yeah, Right. You know, I can't just put all of this inside of one catalog item because I, I need to order hardware. I need to order software. I need to get the account created. And all of these things, they'll require a common set of data that's where the order guy really shines is when you have multiple workflows that need to be processed, but they all require a common set of data.
0: I love and hate order guides. <laughs> I love order guides because order guides is what I used to build an awesome onboarding and termination process that basically, A, it made me an absolute dragon slayer at the company I worked for at the time. Like So I love it in that respect is that it made me solve a ridiculously hard problem that was ridiculously expensive for the business. But I hate them because it forces me to deal with requests. And with that, we'll transition to the last topic we'll talk about today, I think, is the three tier structure of request items. And I have not been on a new deployment where everyone, even the experts, didn't argue incessantly about how to interpret the three tiers. For every single catalog item you fire, you get a request, a request item, and SE tasks. Who gets what and why? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man, let's that's, that's not make it easy, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, I have my ideas. But Corey, why don't you tell them your ideas first?
1: All right. So who gets the request? Nobody ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's my feeling on it. The request is, is an antiquated record. And from my yep. perspective, I've never seen anyone actually utilize this thing. There's a, I think an out of the box business rule or something that you can enable to have this thing auto approved. Um, especially like if it's oh, less that. than 1,500 <laughs> bucks.
0: Full stage visualization. Oh, right. that right. thing like yeah. nobody
1: like like cuz like nobody's even actually need th- these things right they just get yeah. auto approved
0: you can get pages and pages and pages of search results on community how do i get rid of the approval stage on request <laughs> and here's like here's the problem okay so rewind the clock 15 years and let's do this in super slow mo people are going to order from the catalog and they probably are going to treat it like amazon they're going to buy multiple things And those multiple things might add up to a cost that has to be approved. The request was the cart and the catalog items were the things you put in the cart. And so if these things increase more than X, then it needs approval. Therefore, request needs a workflow on top of request item needs a workflow. But then reality hit. Almost nobody orders multiple things at once. It's like, oh, my monitor's busted. I should probably wait until I also need access to a SharePoint site. (laughs) <laughs> and then I'll, then, I'll, then I'll go to the service portal and order both. It never, it's a sense of immediacy. I go to the catalog, get what I need immediately. That's why it's just as a concept, it's great that it's there for the 0.01% of the cases that actually use it. But for everything else, the request layer is like, it doesn't even have the variable data. Right. <laughs> it's right. All of the stuff I ordered, it's just like, hey, Bob, you ordered a thing or things, on this date and time, it's almost like you go to Costco, you fill up your cart and, you know, instead of checking out your goods, they're telling you stuff about your cart. Like, I don't care about the cart. Right. I care about the one 50 pound bag of rice that I put in it. Anyways. It's so, redundant. <laughs> yeah, we both agree that dealing with the request layer is hard. Okay. But in the same sense, we can also be absolutist to say the SC tasks are for the people that work the tasks. Right. Absolutely. They're doing the work. Right but
1: these, are, but these are the people who are out in the field actually deconstructing the workflow and getting yeah. the, getting the parts of it done.
0: They're the cogs in the machine, right? Okay, so the the gray area happens on request item. Here's what makes working with request items difficult. It's true that I might have a task in a workflow. It's also true that I might be responsible for the totality of a workflow even though I don't have tasks in it. Right back at where I built that onboarding process. They had a group that was in charge of making sure everybody else did their stuff, but they didn't do any stuff in, they didn't have an SC task.
1: Right. Okay, they just, they wanted to make sure
0: all the boxes got checked. Right, so they wanna have the request item. It's not something you can abstract out and send to no one all the time. So if you have a multitask, it's true that I might want to assign the request item for the visibility of the teams who are responsible for the overall work, right? Absolutely. Now, the the wild card here is that there's a third truth. You could be a team that is responsible for the entire flow, thus get the rhythm, but also have tasks in that flow, thus receive the SC tasks too. So it gets confusing as to like, how do you build assignment lists for that? like oh here's all the tasks you're assigned to for every rhythm that's got one task and one task only it's like do do you get the rhythm and the sc task
1: yeah i mean if you if you're responsible for the entirety of the process Mm -hmm. and then also responsible for the work done inside of the process right you'd obviously need both but it does make it redundant right to
0: have both it's not smooth and like you get high frequency ones The big problem for me is I think people do generic requests through this mechanism. We'll have a talk about that too, but it's like, okay, service desk will be in charge of generic requests. And so they get the request item because they're in charge of the the workflow, but they also get the SC task and you get a hundred of these in a day. That's 200 tickets in your task list. There's just no real smooth way of doing this interface wise. If you got one, though, tell me. I'll put you on video on my YouTube channel. You could you could be a community dragon slayer. Everybody would love to see that. So prove us wrong.
1: Call to action <laughs> right there. If you yeah. if you can prove the Duke wrong, you're on you're on YouTube. You're gonna make. Hey, it listen, famous. I'm not the
0: smartest guy in the universe, but like this is something that i have just I've been around the world and I, 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 I ain't. <laughs> <solution> for this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Like we said, it's a big, huge topic. We have more to come. This is just episode one. So tune in next time where we're going to talk about things like how do I properly do generic requests via the catalog? Or the dangers of the mega request. We'll introduce you to that concept. We'll also talk about demand management and the catalog. We'll talk about anatomies of a workflow. We'll talk about catalog items as proto apps. And then we'll wrap up with a wish list. And it might take us two or three episodes to get to that point. But once again, you know, I'm Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I'm Corey, CJ Wesley. And thanks again for watching, everyone. Good night. Good night.